Bible reading will be from Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. In the Pew Bible, it's page 848. Mark 12, 13 through 17. And they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Thank you, Michelle. Let's uh, pray and give our time before God's word to the Lord this morning. Father, we're grateful for your word. And again, it gets into areas sometimes we'd rather not look at, but uh, we ask as we look at this area of, of money, taxes, giving, and just the amazing uh, beauty of Jesus that our hearts would just be drawn to follow him in all things we pray in his name. Amen. Jesus presents a tremendous challenge here. If you have your Bibles open, I encourage you to have your Bibles, bring your Bibles, bring a pen, underline them. It's a great way to learn, uh, have the Bible in hand. Uh, but Jesus presents a tremendous challenge to us in Mark twelve seventeen. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to, to God the things that are God's. And here is, he's basically telling us two things. Pay your taxes and give your tithe. That's basically what he, he's saying. We're going to get into the context and all the historicity of, of this text and all. But um, we struggle really with this area of money, especially taxes and giving, because both uh, of these things uh, take from an, uh, our, our, um, our money things that we'd rather spend on ourselves. So here the Lord is inviting us uh, to submit to both things. And I was really marveling at the, I, just as one of the privileges we have as we go through the Gospel of Mark and go verse by verse, section by section, is we come to these areas we'd kind of rather not talk about. Who wants to talk about taxes and giving? Raise your hand. I don't. Well, there's a few of us. A few people were kind of masochistic, you know. <laughs> But in reality, we don't like this subject of money because most of us don't have enough of it or we're afraid of it. We worry about it. And yet uh, God is inviting us to trust him. And really, as we look at this passage, we're going to discover that application for our hearts this morning. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 shares with us the main reason we we struggle to yield to the things of God. Do you know we all struggle to yield to the things of God? If you're honest, we do. Well, what's that reason? Well, 
The Apostle Paul tells us we do not do the things we want to do, but do the very things we hate. Why? He tells us the reason. Because of the sin, the sin that dwells in us. For we have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. And this not only pertains to money, but this pertains to so many areas. Habits of living. There are things we'd rather not do. Uh, Perhaps uh, areas of uh, taking care of our physical health, dieting, exercise. Eh, don't like it. Yet we know we should be taking care of our bodies, right? Uh, Relationships. We know we're called to be listeners, to be gentle and kind to those who are closest to us. But we fail, don't we? Uh, Here in this money, we're being an area of money. We're being invited here to uh, pay our taxes, to be honest, really, not to cheat on them, and uh, also to give uh, generously to God. And mm, we struggle with these areas because of the sin that's in us. Gallup poll took a survey of Americans who attend church regularly and found that 50% of us feel we pay too much uh, taxes. True or not true? I mean, and interestingly, though, though... Only 50% of us feel that way. Only 7% of us in the church, by the way, uh, talk to me if, if you're in this category, 7% cheat on them, cheat on their taxes. Here's the interesting thing. When it comes to giving, this is Gallup now, taking surveys of church people, discovered that while 60% of us believe that tithing is a good principle, that means giving a 10% as a guide or giving generously, uh, only 25% follow through on it. Only 21 in four. Why is it easier for us to, to pay Uncle Sam and struggle with the things of God? I, you know, I think there's a number of reasons, but I think the base reason is that this, this struggle to trust God in this area. And what I've discovered, what I have discovered over time, in my own personal life, I've been following the Lord 35 years, is as I obey him in every area of life, life gets easier. Life gets easier. Life gets more enjoyable. Every area. Whether it be my purity of thoughts uh, or my relationships when God's inviting me to do that, whether it's the way I use my time or the way I use my money. As I yield to God in every area of my life, Life gets easier and more joyful. And this, this reason that God gives us these commands in Scripture, and they're not burdensome. They're for our benefit. That as we follow him in the area of if sexual purity or money or habits of living, as we yield and seek to follow, not that we're going to live perfect lives, as we seek to follow him, life is more enjoyable. I like what Paul says at the end of Romans 7. He says, you know, in this battle, the things we want to do, we, we don't do, but we, we um, he says, uh, I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Here's the good news. At the end of that chapter, Paul says this, who will rescue me from this wretched man that I am? That's a good question, right? Now, if you turn to the world, what is the world telling you? Self-help books. Uh, anxiety meds, psychiatrists, uh, exercise programs, diet programs, all this way to improve ourselves, fail, 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 fail. We need a power beyond ourselves, don't we? 
Here's the good news. Listen to what Paul says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he begins this way. There's no condemnation, going into Romans 8, for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're forgiven of our sin. Forgiven. How much of our sin are we forgiven of? All of it. So this is not about our standing before God. If you receive Jesus Christ, you are forgiven as our brother, Pastor Mike, shared earlier that no one, no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand when we put our faith in Christ. We're forgiven, but we're forgiven for a purpose, to live a new life. He says this, for the law of the spirit of life, that's the Holy Spirit who lives in us when we have Christ, has set us free from the law of sin and death. In other words, now through Christ, we have a power to live a new way of life in every area, especially this area of money. So as we get into this text this morning, I want us to discover really a couple of truths I think that are really applicable. I know I've learned from it this this week. First, God is calling us to submit to the commands of Scripture. you remember that character in uh, The Lord of the Rings, uh, Spiegel? I think we got all, was it Schmiegel or Spiegel? Schmiegel, something like that anyway. I like that guy, you know why? Because he's like all of us, in a way. We're all kind of arguing with ourselves, right? Trying to, to go the right way. That's Schmiegel. He, he has this voice on one side and this voice on the other. You know, the old proverbial devil on the shoulder on this side, the angel on the other is whispering in our ear. We all struggle, and God is calling us to, to yield. Really, that's what it means to surrender. So that's one of the things we're going to learn this morning. The second thing is then we have to commit. So I, I like this, submit and commit. Rhymes, doesn't it? Submit and commit. So that's what we're going to look at. Remember that old hymn? Some of us know that if you grew up in a nice Baptist church. Uh, Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Finish it. To be happy in Jesus. To trust and obey. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's look at this text. Now, this text, by the way, is what I call a fire hose of, you know, when you turn on a fire hose, you better get out of the way because there's a lot of volume there. Uh, if you're in a fallen deer or fire department or whatever, a lot of water, right? This is one of those texts that has a lot of history and a lot of nuance in it. So we're going to go through the context, which I think is going to help us a lot as we uh, look at it this morning together. Look with me again at, at Mark 12, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. We see, first of all, the Pharisees and some of the Herodians uh, went to Jesus. Why did they go to Jesus? Well, sometimes in the text it's so obvious. It's right there. They went to trap Jesus in his talk. They're trying to entrap him. This is the second delegation of leaders that went to Jesus within a few days. If we remember, we've been going through this passage in Mark eleven twenty seven. We had a first delegation of chief priests, scribes, and elders who went to Jesus right after he was welcomed into Jerusalem triumphantly. Remember when Jesus went into Jerusalem, they welcomed him as the Messiah. How do we know that? 
they were singing a hymn from the prophet Zechariah that was pointing to the, the Messiah of Israel. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone is happy the Messiah showed up except for these religious leaders. Well, why? Well, one reason is some of the things that Jesus was doing. What was the very first thing that Jesus did when he goes into Jerusalem? He heads right to the temple and he begins to overturn the tables of the money changers and he builds a whip with cords and he starts to whip. I mean, get out of his way. This is Jesus ballistic. You know, you ever read those news stories? Snap. This is Jesus snapping, so to speak, but fully under control. Because when Jesus was angry, it was a a righteous anger. Why was he so upset with what was going on in the temple area? Well, they're using God's house for personal gain. They're using God's house to profiteer. And this infuriated Jesus because, remember, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so in the outer courts was for the Gentiles who were to come in and see the light of God, to hear the scriptures. Instead of seeing that, what are they seeing? They're seeing a marketplace. So Jesus just makes a whip and chases them all out. Well, why was that so bad? Well, you got to think about the context now. This was the busiest week in the year in Jerusalem. Why? Passover week. When the most money would be exchanged and the most sacrifices sold. So Jesus, in essence, was stopping business as usual. And we're talking not a small amount of money. We're talking about millions of dollars. And I'll I'll, I'll share with you how I know that based on the context. And so they're looking for a way to stop him, to arrest him, and ultimately kill him. Remember, the first group tried to trap Jesus by asking, where did he get his authority to do this from? And and remember, he said, I'm going to ask you a question. Where did John the Baptist get his authority from? And they, they couldn't answer because they were afraid of the people. You remember, we talked about Jesus unconquerable, Jesus unstoppable, they couldn't dwarf him. They're not going to trap him verbally. I mean, Jesus was the master jujitsu, verbal jujitsu guy. You come against him, he's going to, you know, twist you up. You're not going to overcome him. I mean, it's kind of hilarious. I, I kind of look at it this way. It's like a, a gnat. You know, you know how a gnat is um, that big? It's like a gnat picking a fight with an elephant. Not going to work. That's like these guys with, with Jesus. So they're trying to trap. The second group, they say, well, they, they, they huddle and they say, we got to trap this guy. What are we going to ask him about next? Taxes. Taxes. I mean, who, you, you see how inflamed we get in our own culture just in the political landscape about taxes. Some think we should pay more. Some people should think we should pay less. And our whole political system is based almost on taxation. So think about this. Why was this such a trick question? Well, think about this. If Jesus said, don't pay your taxes to Rome, he could be arrested as an insurrectionist by the Roman authorities. Got him, right? If he says, pay your taxes, he would lose the favor 
of the people because the people were against paying taxes to Rome. Because remember, Rome was an occupying foreign force. Uh, The Jews wanted Rome out of Israel. They wanted their old Davidic kingdom, the glory of their kingdom, restored. And they believed Messiah was going to give them that. So one of the benefits of a restored kingdom would certainly be not paying taxes to Caesar anymore. And so either question would entrap him. So they thought they had the, the best question. To, we got him now, they said. Now, interestingly, these two groups that went to Jesus with this question, the Herodians and Pharisees, they were usually at enmity and enemies with one another. That's another thing that's crazy about this passage. The Pharisees were religious priests known for trying to meticulously keep the law of Moses. I mean, they added all kinds of of things to the, the law of Moses, but they were seen as the most righteous religious people in all of Israel. So you have that group. The Herodians, on the other hand, were a political faction within Israel with a very corrupt history. There were actually five generations of kings from the line of Herod in the New Testament. From the birth of Jesus, remember, where one of the kings, King Herod, had all the baby boys two years and under in that area assassinated. I mean, these are corrupt, evil people to protect his power because some magi from the east, if you remember, told this king that there was a new king and he wanted to destroy it. Then there was... um, a few other Herods. In the, there's the one during Jesus' time. That King Herod actually had John the Baptist, the first prophet, after 400 years. That King Herod chopped his head off. And then we see a few other Herods in the book of Acts. One actually had uh, the Apostle James uh, assassinated for preaching the gospel. The Herodians were hedonistic, ungodly, corrupt. And so here we see the family with its delegation followers, the Herodians, expediently cozying up to the occupying Roman uh, government and became incredibly wealthy, by the way, with with, uh, their influence. So here we see a delegation of Pharisees who were representative of the temple and the Herodians who would, in essence, were representative of the taxes that were being paid to Rome. And they go to Jesus desiring to destroy him because why? Let's go back. Remember, he stopped the business in the temple. They're upset. There's a few other details in this text. I mean, there's so much history here. I hope this is interesting to you. It's fascinating to me. First, whenever a Jew would go to the temple for various feasts, especially Passover, I mean, this was the busiest week, they, they were commanded by the law of Moses to give a tithe to the Lord. That's 10%, by the way. In fact, in the law of Moses, they were to give two tithes, one to their local synagogue, and then when they would go into Jerusalem, they were commanded to give a second tithe. Now, what makes that interesting is, is they passed a law, the Pharisees, we're talking about the elders and the Pharisees in the, the council in Jerusalem, they passed a law that since if you were a farmer and you'd go trade your grain for money, what kind of money were you carrying? Roman currency. So you go to the temple, and they said, you can't bring Roman currency into the temple because 
that would make the temple unclean because that would be from a Gentile. So you had to change your money in the courtyards so that you can bring your gift to the temple. And so that created this whole other business in the temple yard where they were taking 1% to 2% uh, as a, uh, off the top, these money changers. So we're talking about a lot of money being exchanged because the average person, you know, if it was like today's culture, the average person making thirty dollars to $100,000 a year, that means if you're bringing your tithe in, that means you're bringing three dollars to $10,000 into the temple. Think about the kind of money that was being exchanged here. We're not talking about small amounts. That's why later on, just a few verses later, when this widow, remember the widow who brought her mite in the temple area, put her gift in? It was so incredible because Jesus said she gave more than all the others. And it was just a penny because of her heart. And so we see these money changers, corrupt, making millions, literally millions of dollars, by the way. We're not talking small cash here. A couple other things we see here, another uh, final detail. It was accepted and well known that these money changers were probably paying out bribes to both the religious establishment and also to the Herodians or the secular establishment that was appointed by Rome. And so Jesus chases them all out of the temple area, putting a stop on business. And by the way, I was trying to think what would be a parallel? It would be like one of us going into Wall Street Stock Exchange and stopping all business for like the day. How long do you think that's going to last? If you just went around with a whip and you start chasing out all the stockbrokers, it's not going to, they'd arrest you, right? That's kind of what was going on here. All right, got all that history and all that stuff out of the way, just to fill in the blanks. All this helps us to understand the hostility that was going on between the religious leaders, the political leaders, and Jesus. They really wanted to stop. And now look, look at, back at the text. Mark 12, 14. Teacher, we know that you're true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. But truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay Taxes to Caesars or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Notice, uh, by the way, how they're trying to butter Jesus up for the kill. They think they really got the ultimate gotcha question. They're like this. Yeah, answer that one, buddy. You know, Proverbs 29.5 tells us flattery spreads a net. Flattery spreads a net. That's exactly what they're trying to do here, spread a net. But as we discussed a few weeks ago, Jesus is unconquerable. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's unstoppable. He's undefeated. His record is 10 and 0, or 100 and 0, or 1,000 and 0. I mean, no one has, can defeat him. That's good news for us. And we're going to see how this plays out right here. Look at verses 15 through 17. Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy... I love that. Jesus, God in the flesh, knows. He, you know, he knows us, by the way, doesn't he? Do you think you can hide from God, the living God? No. He's omniscient. He knows all. And Jesus, we see here, knowing their, his, their hypocrisy, he replies, why put me to the test? He knows. 
that they're trying to trap him. Bring me a Daenerys. I'll humor you. I'll humor you. Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. And they brought him one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus then said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they all marveled. I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. I mean, Jesus just stopped them in their tracks. I mean, they're dumbfounded, full of wonder and a hint of admiration. That's what the original word here means. He turns their trap into a teaching opportunity. Think about that. Isn't that what Jesus so often does? We think we can get away, right, with it. Maybe we're doing something stupid, like like I've done many, many times. And, you know, you think you get away with it for a season, but God is so good to reveal to us and, and to reveal to us and help us go on the right track. And he takes this, this time and he turns it into a teaching, response, uh, a teaching opportunity. And by the way, some of the first believers in Jerusalem when Pentecost came were some of these Pharisees that were trying to trap Jesus. We know that. Nicodemus came to Christ. Joseph of Arimathea came to Christ and many other priests. So they were all not bad. They were just confused and being misled. And so the Lord just absolutely dumbfounds them. Well, this is where we get into some application. Where the Lord invites us to commit. Living uprightly. I call this living uprightly in the area of the way we use money. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God. You know, what is at stake here when we are called by God not only to submit to our government in terms of taxation, but also to submit to him in giving? I think it puts a finger, really, on our selfishness. Because when we want to go in another direction, what we're really saying is, I know better than God, instead of yielding to him and trusting him, because he promises to bless us when we follow him. Now, a tithe to God, 10%, and taxes, which amounts to at least 20%, that's minimum, by the way, for most of us. When adding the federal, state, property, sales, social security tax, is money that, if we're honest, we'd rather enjoy on ourselves. Right? Heck, who would not want an increase of 30 to 40% in your pocket to spend? I mean, it's not hard to imagine what that could do. Bigger houses, nicer cars, better medical care, nicer vacation, whole list of indulgences we can use on ourselves rather than giving it away to God and man. So when Christ calls us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar and God's what is God, he's really challenged us to submit and commit to something with what? We're knowing that God ultimately is going to care for us and provide for us, which so many of us have discovered. You know, remember, Jesus' audience here didn't like either mandate. It's like us today, right? We don't like these things, if we're honest. That's why it's so important to cultivate the right attitude towards these things. They certainly didn't, they certainly were struggling to give the Roman occupying forces taxes, and they no doubt struggled with giving to the temple. 
I mean, especially with all the craziness that was going on in the temple area, all the corruption. But yet Jesus here in the context is inviting him to submit and yield to both. There's an interesting story I heard a few years ago. When Diane and I were serving as missionaries in India, when we would come back to the States, we'd often need a place to live um, while we would just visit our supporters and churches and share updates on the work. And so we would look for often an empty house during the summer. We'd come back often during the summer months. And so we'd put it out there in our newsletter. And one man, Arthur Stilwell and his wife, graciously opened their home up for us near a lake. Um, Now, it was a beautiful home. Arthur owned two large General Motors dealerships in uh, that area. And being semi-retired, he and his wife would go up to Camp of the Woods, which is a um, beautiful ministry up in the Adirondacks. And he and his wife would walk in the, work in the back office in the area of administration to help with finance as that ministry served families that would come in for the summer to hear the gospel. For us, it was a wonderful gift to be given a large, spacious home to work from for the summer. Years later... After Arthur actually passed and went home to be with the Lord, I was reading a book by Joel Stoll, who was one of the previous presidents of Moody Bible Institute. And he was flying somewhere in the country for a speaking engagement and just happened to sit next to one of Arthur's previous lawyers that helped him with various business transactions. And so when I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, he's got my interest As Joe Stoll shared a little bit about Christ with this lawyer, the lawyer told him this. He says, you know, I know someone also who was born again, who was kind of sharing something you're sharing. And he said this, when Arthur would come into my office and I would present him a variety of strategies with uh, tax loopholes, many which were gray areas before the IRS. There's a lot of those, by the way. He only had one response. I don't want to hear it. Just do the right thing. I don't want to hear it, he says. Just do the right thing. The lawyer admitted the right thing over the years cost Arthur millions of dollars. Yet Arthur never wanted any part of the schemes, the tax schemes that were going to get him out. He wanted to be blessed by God for living righteously. Here's where the story gets even more interesting. President Joe Stoll was able to lead that lawyer to Christ because of Arthur's example. That made such an impact uh, on this man that years later, God used it. Think about that because Arthur chose to live upright and submitted to the things of God. Not only was he blessed and left a legacy, but God used it to touch another man's heart. You know, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 helps us to understand the power of a life well-lived in a world that's so often self-indulgent and materialistic. He invites us this way, be imitators of God and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the way God lived. That's the way Christ lived. He lived sacrificially. He was pouring himself out. Live like that. Live sacrificially. Live obediently to the Father in God's word. 
And then he says this, not in sexual immorality and impurity. And then Paul says it's not in covetousness. That's the list. Which specifically is our attitude towards material things and money. Why are we invited to live this way? Listen to what Peter says. This is Peter, 1 Peter 2. He says, live honorably before the unbeliever or the Gentile. This is Peter now talking. Why? So when they accuse you of being evil, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of his visitation. In other words, that as we live a certain way, it becomes a testimony to the things of God. Jesus, in Matthew 5, put it this way. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A light is not meant to be put under the bed, but what? On the stand, so that all in the house may receive its light. And then Jesus challenged us this way. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. When we choose to to live like this man Arthur did, right before God and man, we are living out our purpose by bringing God glory. This is his design for us, to live for his glory. I hope you understand that. There is no other way to live but to live pointing to him. And the way we do business The way we handle money is just one more way to let our light shine before men. Just want to finish up with just a few practical challenges. We don't talk about this area unless we stumble on in the text, by the way. It's not something we like to talk about, but I think it's so important for us to hear it. Couple challenges. What does this mean to render to both Caesar and God? Remember, God's intention is always to bless us. And as we follow him and obey him, we can bring him glory, and it's going to give us joy along the way. First, in the area of taxes. Look, listen to Romans chapter 13. These are beautiful scriptures that remind us of these things. Let every person, that includes all of us here, be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. In other words, God is on top, and then God institutes other authorities, one of them being government. One must be in subjection. It means yielded, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also the sake for the conscious sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending this very thing. God is the one who appoints taxes, and he's saying that I'm now inviting you to submit to what's around you. So that there may be law, there may be law instead of lawlessness and order instead of disorder. This, by the way, when we have law and order instead of lawlessness and disorder and anarchy, it actually frees up society to hear the gospel. When society is in anarchy, and I've been in a few countries where there's been upheaval, people are not listening to anything but the upheaval. And remember, when Jesus says this, And Paul's talking about these things in Romans. They were under Caesar, Augustus, and Nero, two rulers who are known for corruption and persecuting both Jews and Gentiles. So these were not nice governments like we have today. They could never meet like this in assembly. 
Then in 2 Corinthians 9, in the area of giving, here's a great principle, and I always go to this. While tithing is not commanded in the New Testament, it's important for you to understand we're not under the law. Um, Most pastors, theologians, and commentators agree that tithe is a good principle for all of us to follow. With that being said, listen to the way Paul frames out this principle. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is the Lord saying here? First of all, that as we participate in giving to the things of God, then we are participants in what God is doing through his missionaries and through his church. I know this personally. You know, I'm giving to a a pastor in India, and when I hear news about him, my interest is specifically piqued. And when I hear how fruitful he is, I feel like I'm part of that. That is bountifully participating. I have joy when I hear that. He says this, which shouldn't be done under compulsion. In other words, when we call the church to give, this shouldn't be, oh, oh, I don't want to write that check or I don't want to get, it shouldn't be like that. If that's your attitude, like if it hurts, can I say just stop and ask the Lord to give you a sense of joy? Because the only way you can enjoy giving is if you're trusting that God then is going to replenish and bless you for it so that you're not working from a place of want, but plenty. And he will do that, by the way. Many of us have discovered that, that as I obey God in this area, he pours it on. I'm like, really, Lord? It's a beautiful thing. And God gives us that promise. I love that. When we do that, God is able to make all grace abound to you, which means God will provide for us so that in all things, at all times, we can abound in every good work. He's talking about the ministry of giving here. All this, by the way, is part of us fulfilling God's purpose for us. Every area of life, every area of life is, should be yielded to the Lord. I'm going to close in prayer now, and um, thanks for listening. <laughs> Taxes, money, ugh. I don't like to talk about these things. But God gives these things for us for our benefit, that we may be blessed from God in all that we do. And you know, if you follow him, trust him in every area, (laughs) he's going to pour out his blessing on you. I promise you he will. I've discovered it. Uh, If you've discovered it, honestly, if you've discovered that, raise your hand this morning. Look at that. See that? I'm guessing most of you are tithers, right? God honors it. He blesses it. If you're here this morning and you're like listening and you said, you know, I don't even know what this is all about. I don't even know if I know Jesus. Can I just challenge you with this simple message? It's for anyone who doesn't know Christ as Savior. He came to die for your sins. Your sins. And the scripture says that when we go to him and believe in him, He will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what scripture teaches us. And restore us 
into a relationship with God and give us new life. That's the gospel. And if you're here this morning and have yet to do that, as we finish up in our worship, you just come to the front. I'd love to talk to you, or Pastor Mike would love to talk to you, and we'd love to bless you and pray with you that you may know him as Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text so rich, so full, in both history and just the nuances of what was going on in the culture of that time and the challenge to each of us that carry 2,000 years later so much application. Lord, help us to submit to your word and commit 